glorious day, fellow traveler. Welcome to Science and God with Dr. G. That's me, Dr. Michael Gillen, physicist, astronomer, mathematician, and Christian. That's right. Living, breathing evidence that science and Christianity are not mortal enemies, but good friends. Actually, an awesome power couple. All right, I have a question for you today. Is there a difference between meditation and prayer? And if so, what is it? Well, let's start with the basics. First of all, both prayer and meditation involve your mind, right? They also involve your quieting yourself down, your stilling yourself. They also both involve you connecting with a reality beyond the stresses of everyday life. Okay. But as you're about to see, that's pretty much where the similarities end. In meditation, you see, you focus on typically your breath or a candle flame or a mantra or, you know, the universe. But in Christian prayer, you focus on God. I was reading Amy Julia Becker the other day. She's a popular Christian blogger who has combined meditation and prayer in a very interesting way. And and here's how she explains it, okay? Quote, yoga has helped me to incorporate my body into my Christian practice of prayer. Placing my hands on my knees with palms up gave me a physical posture of surrender, humility, receptivity. A physical way for me to receive from God and offer myself in return. Very interesting. You know, my wife taught me yoga years ago. I wasn't interested, but she forced me. <laughs> and, and I do that now. I like yoga because it keeps me limber. Um, but during, you know, doing the poses and all that stuff, I, I pray. I'm praying to God. Now, one way to think about the fundamental difference between simple meditation like yoga and Christian prayer is this. In meditation, you look inward. In prayer, you look upward. You know, sometimes your prayer is noisy because you're praising God or thanking Him or asking Him for something. Reminds me of Philippians 4, 6 through 7. In every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So, you know, those kinds of prayers are are wordy. You're talking to God. It's not quiet. But then sometimes your prayer is quiet. You don't say anything. Why? Because you want to listen for the, the voice of God. Psalm 4610, right? Be still and know that I am God. Powerful. Other times you pray quietly too because you're seeking his peace. Jesus says, I give you peace. It isn't like the peace this world can give. So don't be worried or afraid. I often remind myself of that when I'm going through tough times. Most scientific studies so far have focused on meditation, not prayer. And for three basic reasons, okay? There may be more, but certainly three big reasons. Number one, 
You know, the whole subject of God and religion is taboo in science. You know, God exists outside the scientific worldview. So his name is never mentioned in published studies. You'll never see God mentioned in a peer-reviewed published study. (laughs) Another reason is that, you know, among academics and intellectuals, there's no status in studying prayer. And so there's little or no funding for it. You know, studying prayer is not considered cool or chic. And as you know, many intellectuals just outright scorn the very idea of God and religion and prayer. They think it's for weaklings. The third reason there is so little studying of prayer is that it's really hard to design an experiment to study prayer. I have more to say about that in a minute. It's really hard. But you know what? Despite all that, science really has no choice but to study prayer. Why? Because it's so prevalent. The Pew Research Center finds that at least 55% of Americans pray every day, every day. More than that, pray like every week or every month. Prayer is huge in most people's lives. So science has a hard time to ignore it, even though it may have a jauntous view against it. Now, on this podcast... I'll be talking to you in future episodes about specific results from prayer and meditation studies, okay? But for now, I want to give you just a few kind of generic headlines. This is what we're finding out so far. Both prayer and meditation help you get a grip on life, on life's bitterest disappointments, for example, okay? That's one thing we're finding out. Second thing we're finding out is that both prayer and meditation help you get to a place of forgiveness, both forgiving yourself and others. What? For being less than perfect. It's really what it boils down to. And both meditation and prayer help us get to that place of forgiveness. It's very healing. And the third headline is that both meditation and prayer help you decrease the stresses of your everyday life. That shouldn't surprise you, but that's what we're finding. And that's a big deal, not just because it reduces stress, but because we now believe that upwards of 90%, get that, upwards of 90% of all human afflictions are stress-related, including, you know, catastrophic illnesses like heart disease, hypertension, even cancer. So it is a big deal. All right. So think of those as the secular benefits From meditation and prayer, they are the kind of lowest common denominator between the two of them, if you will. But trying to quantify the spiritual benefits of prayer specifically, of connecting with God, well, that's a whole different thing. The best science can do is to look at the changes prayer causes to the structure and chemistry of your brain. So we look at what parts of your brain light up when you pray. And we do that by using EEGs, electroencephalographs, fMRIs, functional MRIs, and PET scans. Okay, those are some of the instruments we use, some of the, the most important ones. Hey there, breaking in for just a second to tell you about COVID-19. There's so much misinformation out there. That's why I started a video series on YouTube called Going Viral with Dr. G. Every week I help you digest the screaming and scary headlines so you and your loved ones can always feel well-informed and safe. 
simply go to my website, michaelgillen.com, and click on the YouTube button. All right? Now back to the podcast. We look at what also what happens to your body's chemistry when you pray. We look at changes in the levels of neurotransmitters like dopamine, norepinephrine, and serotonin. Or we look at the levels of hormones in your bodies and how they change when you pray, like cortisol, estrogen, testosterone, and HGH, human growth hormone. But really, let's be honest. How in the world can any of these crude indicators possibly adequately describe the Christian experience? For example, PET scans do show what happens to your brain when you pray, but averaged out over minutes, hours, even days. In other words, PET scans can't capture fleeting spiritual experiences, experiences that come and go like a flash, which is a problem, right? Because sometimes the spirit will hit us like a lightning bolt, quickly and decisively. I know that happens to me. You know, I'll be just sitting there or maybe I'm sitting in church or I'm singing or whatever. And all of a sudden, boy, the voice of God just boom, out of nowhere. And it's gone. Comes and goes. So that's a problem. PET scans can't pick that up. And by the way, PET scans also involve injecting you with a radioactive tracer. Mm, Not a lot of people are going to go along with that. You know, in a recent paper published by Andrew Newberg, who's a really big name in this area, studying meditation and prayer. He's a neuroscientist at uh, Thomas Jefferson University Hospital. He admits to the problem. Here's what he says, quote, Since spiritual experiences may be quite brief, it's not clear how effectively neuroimaging studies might be able to capture the specific moment related to something spiritual, unquote. That's an understatement. But I agree with him. Or he agrees with me. (laughs) EEGs, good old-fashioned EEGs, can capture, they're the best at capturing fleeting religious experiences, okay? But here's the problem. EEGs aren't good at pinpointing where in the brain they happen. So did they happen in the frontal lobe, the parietal lobe, the limbic system? It matters. And EEGs are just not good at telling us that. It just kind of tells us that, oh, your brain's lighting up, or it's not. Now, functional MRIs, fMRIs, which measure blood flow in the brain, they also are pretty good at capturing fleeting religious experiences. And they don't involve radioactivity. So those are two pluses, right? But here's the problem. You have to lie down inside a noisy scanner. Have you ever done that? It's up to 100 decibels of noise in there, which isn't exactly conducive to prayer, all right? Not, not what you expect from a prayer closet or church sanctuary, that's for sure. Now, in a future episode, I'm going to tell you uh, about an experience I had with Dr. Robert Schuler years ago. Remember, he was the head of the Crystal Cathedral. I, I preached there many times. I got to know him very well. But I'll just tell you this. He and I went to UC Irvine one day to speak to scientists about the concept of spiritual space. You know, like there's acoustics. Carnegie Hall has great acoustics for music. Well, the idea here is that maybe there are spaces that are more conducive to, you know, connecting with God and to prayer and amplifying prayer and all that kind of thing. It's called spiritual space. Well, trust me, you know, being inside an fMRI machine is not a spiritual space. Okay, so that's a problem. But here's the thing. Even if all these measuring techniques work to perfection, 
they still couldn't possibly tell you what's really going on inside your mind and certainly not inside your spirit. You know, it would be like me claiming that I could know everything about you, everything, just by looking at how you dress or brush your hair. Preposterous. You know, things go on inside your mind and inside your spirit, very intimate things, that cannot, cannot be inferred by just looking at what's going on in that three-pound hunk of matter between your ears called your brain. You know, it's, it's like trying to study love. Think about it. How do you even define love scientifically, quantitatively? How do you quantitate love? You know, in trying to define it, to quantify it, you invariably trivialize it. What are you going to do? You're going to measure your heart rate, you know, oxytocin levels, you know, the love hormone levels in your body, the number of kisses you give to your beloved per month. <laughs> you know, it reminds me of a 2020 segment that I did years ago where we looked at people in love. And what we found was that when you, when you look at young people who are in love, when they see each other, let's say they, they step into the room and they see each other, their, their whole bodies and brains just go aflutter. Everything lights up like, like a Roman candle. You know, their brains, their bodies, all the hormone levels just shoot through the room. <laughs> uh, but here's the thing, when you look at Older people who are in love, maybe who have been married for, for a number of years, when they see each other, they calm down. <laughs> Everything in their bodies and brains calm way down. It's like turning down the thermostat. They're, they're, you know, both these sets of people are in love, but just very different reactions. So it goes to show you how hard it is to quantify love. Um, you can't capture love in a beaker. You know, like you can capture fireflies in a bottle. Now, you can't do that. with Love, you can't capture in a beaker and study it with scientific methods. So, in the end, friend, this is what it comes down to. The truth is, science doesn't have an adequate vocabulary or a big enough worldview to describe your prayer life, never mind your overall religious experience. It's like asking a toddler to explain the theory of general relativity. You know, science operates in a four-dimensional universe, and it's big. You know, the physical, observable universe is, is big. That is science's sandbox. But prayer operates in a much vaster universe, a much vaster realm than that. It's a realm beyond EEGs and MRIs and PET scans. It's a realm beyond neurotransmitters and hormones. It's a realm really with an infinite number of dimensions that none of us, not you, not me, can see, prove, or even fully imagine. That's what makes studying prayer so hard. But it's also what makes prayer and the Christian life so incredibly exciting. All right? All right. New episodes of Science and God every Tuesday. So, if you haven't already, subscribe now. That way you'll never miss an episode. Remember, this podcast is not a lecture series. It's a conversation. 
So now it's your turn. Comments? Questions? I'm eager to hear from you. There's all kinds of ways you can connect up with me via my social media links in the show notes below. Till next time, I'm still Dr. G saying, I love science, I love God, I also love you, my fellow traveler. Thanks for listening.